Welcome to The Wheel Reads, a Wheel of Time podcast. Your hosts are Alan, Chris, and Ian. This podcast is safe for first-time readers with no spoilers. This week, we'll be covering chapters 36, 37, and 38 of The Eye of the World, Web of the Pattern, The Long Chase, and Rescue. Enjoy. All right, welcome to episode 18. Um, before we get into the episode, a couple of quick housekeeping items. We do have a new patri- patron, um, Todd, Sh- yeah, Todd Schumacher um, joined us. Uh, he's not on our Discord as far as I know. Um, if he is, uh, just send me a private message and I can uh, let you um, uh, get the special privileges of Discord. I sent a message through Patreon, but um, I have not um, heard back. So with that being said... Um, uh, you know, any of the thing that we do through, through these patrons and through Patreon, you know, we're doing things like buying a new headset. I think that's in the budget for this month. And then, of course, we did giveaways last month. And I think we're going to do another giveaway next month. So uh, that's where all this money's going towards. So if you think about giving to us, it's going towards back to you guys and back to making this a better production. Um, so moving away from all that, personal life. Um, still in quarantine. Uh, people are going to go back and listen to this years from now. And it's just going to be quarantine, 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 like every episode. But yeah, we're still in quarantine. I, I don't even know what I don't even know what day it is. What day is today? Yeah. I, I'm it's, lost. Today would be the seventh of May because my grandmother's ninety first birthday was yesterday. Nice. Okay, we still have some markers to hit the calendar with. I'm if it wasn't for that, I'd be lost right now. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Well, as far as personal life goes for me, I mean, I started walking. So I've, I've, I've been working at my parents' house because I have a two-year-old and he doesn't understand that dad's working. He doesn't understand that concept at all. So, uh, and I've been extremely busy with my job. So um, I've actually set up an office at my parents' house. It's about three miles away from my house. So on nice days, I've been walking um, to, my, to my parents' house. So Great. it's six miles awesome. a day. And walking time, so my little hike. I put my backpack on, my laptop, computer, and everything, and hike on it over. So it's a, it's actually you hike in Newport News, the laptop on your back. Oh, You're you know, I mean, I, I have a backpack <laughs> on. I feel like I'm hiking. You know, it's it's all flat ground, and occasionally I have to get off the road because a car comes. So I get. I, no, I'm <laughs> I'm more concerned about the fact that you have a laptop in your bag, walking in the middle of Newport News. Uh, uh, <laughs> good good point. <laughs> they don't know what's in the bag. <laughs> so, of all the neighborhoods to walk the streets through, yeah, uh, you live in one of the best, and your dad, where that's also where my mom True. lives, is the second best, if not tied. I mean, I walk those neighborhoods. My mom walks the neighborhood all the time. It's yeah. Uh, if you have great weather, like what you've been doing, uh, supposedly, it's fantastic. Yeah, I'm, it's I'm just messing with so. Alan. He really is in a really good spot. <laughs> sure. So yeah, so. Anything new with you guys, personal life? Uh, so I'll go. Um, let's see. This last week, uh, some of y'all have seen, I posted a couple of pictures. I got my uh, younger two boys with me. And in fact, uh, River and I, to avoid the, the echoing on Discord, we're sharing earbuds right now. So River, go ahead and say hi. Hi. <laughs> River is my 10-year-old. And I've talked to him about the books, but I haven't had him read them yet. Uh, but he is a big time reader. 
Uh, I know some of the content might be adultish, but as far as reading level, this guy, I mean, he can outread his older brother and sister. So I think I might be getting him into the series pretty soon. Yeah, I the world. Uh, but we've been. Yeah, yeah I, yeah, I the world. Yeah, yeah, that's the plan. Um, you know, it's it's really like actually they redid I the world as a children's like young adult like type novel, but uh, oh no, we're giving him the good prologue. Yeah. <laughs> He's going to get the real okay. prologue. We're not going to water the it ravens. Down. We're, we're hitting the real, the sure. real deal. But so the last week, um, now, now, mind you, I've had to work, air quotes. So I've been working, air quotes. But I've also been four-wheeling and hitting the mini bike, and we cleaned up the boat and jet ski. We got the jet ski in today. We've been fishing, uh, going on walks, playing fetch with the dog. Am I missing anything, River? Eating, no. eating fantastic food, grilling, cooking. Uh, it's been a good time. So I've been busy with that. And then I've been air quotes working in between. So uh, life was already a blur, but now I got my boys with me. So I, I, I don't have a care in the world. We're just having a good time. And, and our live discord chat wants to say hi to river as well. So, Hey, from everyone at discord to river. <laughs> hey, say hello. River. You say hi, Ben. I'll say hi. Yeah. Oh, here you go. Hi. There you go. All right. Thanks guys. Chris. All right, now oh, so per usual, <laughs> super busy with work. I'm literally working right now. Like I have people that have, from my job that have found me on Facebook and they're asking me tech questions because we've been doing trainings all week long, literally like four or five hour trainings, two of them a day. And they're supposed to be prepared for the trainings by doing work, you know, weeks before when we sent them the emails. Tomorrow's the day of the training. And people are emailing me about the work they should have done a week ago. Not emailing me. They're Facebook messaging me. They have found me and they are messaging me right now. I'm like, anyway, that being said, it's been actually a really nice week. Um, Like I said, yesterday, my grandmother turned 91. So I took time off of work and went and cooked my grandma a uh, delicious dinner. It doesn't look as impressive as what some of you guys put out there, but it tastes really good. So. (laughs) <laughs> and then I have a um, friend that has a birthday tomorrow, a coworker. So I made flan for the first time yesterday, which is really interesting. Um, did a lot of yard work last weekend for my grandma. I got her entire yard put together, you know, mulching, cutting, weeding, not necessarily in that order. And then, of course, a neighbor who has heart problems saw me out there working. So then I went and did their yard. So Saturday for eight hours was spent out in the sun so got a little sunburn but you know all for a good cause uh, and today I signed my contract for the emerging teacher program so I am officially official um, I'll be getting my four-year contract come June with the stipulation that I passed my practice test by January so things are kind of running really smoothly with that um and I mean, otherwise, Yay. not much, not much else going on. Hoping to, I'm be moving soon for, uh, into June, which would be awesome, and hopefully have a better setup than what I have now when we record podcasts. <laughs> All right. Hey, do you know what grade level you're going to be teaching? It's going to be middle school math. I'm going to shoot for sixth grade. That way, it's not super SOL heavy. In Virginia, in America, we have standards of learning. I have to preface mm. that. It's kind of funny. <laughs> so with our uh, standards of learning um our jobs are kind of held 
to the same standards that our kids are held to, um, the passing rates make the difference in whether or not we keep our jobs or not. So I need a grade level where the standard of learnings aren't going to be important for the first year or two as I learn how to be a teacher while teaching. So here's the thing. If you would have said fifth grade or younger, or if you would have said ninth grade or older, I feel like I could have worked with you just like in a person-to-person basis. But being that you're teaching sixth grade, if anything, sixth, seventh, or eighth, those were my middle school years where I was an absolute hellion. And I feel like I need to prepare you for students like me. So I'm going to do nothing but give you shit from now on, just so you're ready. <laughs> That's awesome. I appreciate it. I will teach. I, I did not know what to do with puberty. I was horrible. <laughs> Great. <laughs> also, speaking of school and geography and things like that, Ian, your country and state this year, uh, this week. If I knew a Viking accent, I would do one now, but I don't really know if anybody really knows what those are. Um, but I'm going to say Finland. I mean, it, it's up there, one of those fingers where the Vikings hopped around and beat sure. people up and claimed land. So, so we, yeah. we have yeah. listeners in Norway, and we have listeners in Sweden, but um, and we actually have a just joined our Discord called IPA. I'm calling you out from Finland, but they have not listened to our podcast yet. So, um, so yeah, um, that should be an it should easy, be easy. One, then. Yeah, we, we should we should get that one. Winner, winner, winner. Zul, Zul's on it. She's gonna go get get uh get this get a Finland <laughs> listener. Uh, <laughs> so, um, quick predictions before we get started um, from last week. So, one, Tom is not dead. Tom is not dead. And Tom's not dead. Uh, those are three. <laughs> uh, uh, more gay. Don't forget, Tom's not dead. Uh, yeah, yeah. And more gays might not be the true queen. That was another prediction that that someone. I think Chris or Ian. I'm not sure who who made that one. Um, and then uh, I think that was Ian. Let's see. Rand is in trouble for wrapping the sword in red. Um, and then fat innkeepers, gang colors. Uh, that's fat right. innkeepers are gang, uh, fat innkeepers are better st- uh, than the skinny ones. Uh, that was another prediction. Um, True, because we we met uh, uh, Mr. Uh, Master Gill, uh, our fat innkeeper, who was a nice guy. So with that being said, let's jump right into chapter thirty-six. A web of the pattern, and the icon is the leaf uh, vine thingy that we've seen before. So, talk about the chapter title. I think is probably more uh, telling than than the leaf. But let's talk about it. I think we're finally getting to that moment where we're starting to hear and see more about this pattern that is being woven, and the um, essentially. Uh, what each individual, what role each individual plays. Um, mm-hmm. As we're coming towards the end of the book, we're kind of on that down slope, which excites me a lot. Um, <laughs> we're, we're finally getting the opportunity to kind of plug people into different spots as we go throughout these chapters. Like I know when we originally started, we were only going to do two chapters. And I just have to say like the web of the pattern you know, these chapters are all kind of like webs and they're like drawing me in and keeping me like tight to the book. And now I'm like ready to go. (laughs) Yeah. I was gonna say this one's tough for me. I should have written down my first impression before I read, but then I read and it obviously changes what I'm thinking. But like initially, like I, I kind of rushed into it because Chris and I have both really struggled with understanding 
how the one true power works, right? And and even though Moraine has given us some blips of uh, how she and others are able to tap into it or use it or weave it or whatever it is they do with it, uh, I've had my ongoing distrust of Moraine. So every time she was speaking early on, I was like, liar, liar. And anyway, so maybe that just kind of ruined for me my understanding of of how all of this works. So I saw the chapter title and I just rushed into it because I'm like, okay, hopefully this is one of those chapters where we get more answers than questions. No. Uh, and, and I think we do. <laughs> I mean, obviously it doesn't close the loop. We're not, we don't know 100% how it works, but we have some more clues in, in, into how all of this works. Mm-hmm. That being said, let's, let's move right into chapter 36. So um, we start out with... Uh, you know, right where we left off, uh, Master Gale's taking them into a corner to feed them. You know, they were going in the end last time in the stable. Uh, it feeds them a little bit. There's not, and they're complaining about that, I guess, not really complaining because they haven't fed properly in a while, but it, it's not that much food. But then again, it's a free meal. And, and Gil sits with them and, and asks what kind of trouble they're in. Um, and, and Rand goes ahead and tells them a, a whole entire, a, a version of the story of what's happened. And Matt's just brooding the entire time. Uh, definitely upset. So we'll start with this little scene here and talk about it. Well, I'd like to first take a look at the very first page. Um, and it kind of looks at the, the way that Rand's mind or mentality is starting to shift. Um, essentially, like the highlight was picking up his knife and fork. Rand wondered what would happen when there was nothing left. It made his half-covered plate seem like a feast. It made him shiver. Like, they're finally at a point, Rand at least, is finally at a point to where his level of distress is just elevated. Um, And it makes for a very interesting take on his perspective in life in general. The the guy that we met at the beginning of the book, just kind of a, a carefree, joyous person. Yeah, there was a little bit of distrust. He was always kind of you know, paying very close attention, but now he's literally questioning every action that's happening around him. That so kind of shows how an individual can be hardened by the situations that they're in. And then, of course, we have Master Gill who asks, now, why don't you tell me about this trouble of yours? I'm going to help. Uh, I'd best know what's what I'm getting into. So you have this again, instance where they're being offered help by somebody they don't know anything about. And then that level of distrust puts the idea in Rand's mind that he does need to give this guy a little bit, but he's not going to really give him anything that's going to put him where he feels like he's in a spot of danger. So I just, I find that that's very interesting that Mm -hmm. he's being so particular, especially when he is where he was told to go by Tom, like these should be trusted people, but he no longer has that innocence. So I think we finally found, or we've seen that complete and total loss of innocence for Rand. Yeah. So I, I looked at this from a couple of angles. Um, one, if you go back to the early chapters and it was a long time for us, but really just a hop, skip, and a jump and a go for our characters, right? And they lived this very innocent lifestyle. And Rand obviously always had uh, time traveling Tam with him. And uh, he always had somebody he can lean on. But now he's kind of the leader with him and Matt. Um, you can only go but so long 
just leaning on yourself and your own instincts, especially very early on in this adventure for him. So like part of me wonders, um, is, is he so willing to trust master Gill, even though he doesn't give him the whole story, he gives them, he gives them quite a bit of the story. Uh, and I feel like he does trust him some, is it just because he's at a point where he's exhausted and like, he just can't carry this burden on his own. He's like, okay, he seems somewhat trustworthy. I just, I got to empty this on somebody and see what happens. Or is it a nod back to Tom and the time that they spent together? Uh, they were in some small battles together. Um, and then Tom ultimately sacrificing his life, presumably like he's still alive, obviously, but the boys think he sacrificed his life for them. He feels this affinity for Tom. And now he's amongst Tom's, I'll say friends, acquaintances, but obviously the place where he was guided by Tom, right? So like, maybe that's the reason he's trusting because this, uh, this battle buddy of his that he went through some shit with, uh, told him to go here. So sure. Yeah. I don't know if it's, he has any more reason to trust master guild than anybody else, but there's a little bit of emotional, there's gotta be some emotional exhaustion at this point. And then there's also that bond that he had with Tom and these are Tom's people. So he, he's rolling with that. I mean, one of the two, but I, I also feel good about it because Master Gill is fat. So, that's the way. yeah, well, if you look at the general statements that were made, like all of his thoughts and when he was telling the story were based on Tom. It's like Tom did not trust Moraine completely, but he stayed with on with them because of his nephew. Um, they had been separated during the attack while trying to reach Whitebridge, but then in Whitebridge, Tom died, saving them from another attack. Um, and there, had been other tries, but he's essentially his entire train of thought was based on what Tom did for them. So when he's explaining to his friends, he's like, all right, Tom didn't trust these people. So these people aren't going to trust him either. So I would give these in his mind, he's giving them the same um, affection and respect that he would give Tom without pushing them to the point of discomfort that Tom had. Concur. Yeah. And, and Ren's looking for what his next move is going to be. You know, he mentions going to uh, visit Elida, which, um, and they mentioned her as the Aes Sedai advisor for uh, Queen Morgays. And Gil immediately says, I don't think that's a good idea. And he says, because of Tom, um, you know, and hence that there's a lot of politics going on around Camelin. Um, and also it mentions that there's rats everywhere in Camelin. I, I made a note of that. I don't know if you guys picked up on it, but. So, so Rand talks about like uh, all of the carry-on type animals, mm -hmm. like your ravens, vultures, rats. Kind of clumped them all together. That they're that he recognizes all of them as eyes and ears for the dark one. And and obviously, there's you know you throw back to the first dream with Beelzebub, and there's a there's a connection there. So that that's going to make the boys weary. Sure. Yeah. And then well, there's and then, a lot of the back and forth even before those. Um, creatures were mentioned between Master Gill and the group. Um, for instance, he, he mentioned, of course, by him being one of the individuals that was an innkeeper, he would be on the lookout for, you know, their friends and everything. He said, uh, this friend of yours from up north, if she comes into Camelin, I'll hear. There are people, keep, uh, there are people keep their eyes on comings and goings like that around here and word spreads. So literally we know that there's a network already of individuals that are 
um, passing information along. So we, we do realize that there's no way that the rest of the crew is going to enter without them knowing. So, uh, you know, my opinion, this would be one of the safest places for them for a little while. And just based on that information, the fact that this is a group of people that Tom really put uh, a lot of trust in. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. And you know me by now, almost everybody we run into, I'm like, don't trust them, don't trust them, don't trust them. But my, my impression, I, I just got warm fuzzies here. Uh, I, I feel like this isn't a bad place to hang out, that ultimately they got them back, uh, they're back. And I feel like so far there's nothing from Master Gill uh, or anybody else here that leads me to believe they would withhold information. So if the rest of his party did show up, I think they would let him know. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I, I think I think they're in a good spot. Well, I was going to say, within that same vein, we have, um, you know, we're gaining a little bit more information about Master Gill and his where he's at in life. And then we have this conversation that's back and forth between Rand and Matt. And Rand is already on to the next he's like we have to build up our strength so we're so we can reach Tarvalon. like he's not even wanting to wait and camlin to see whether or not the rest of the crew shows up he's already prepping for the next step and then we kind of get this bitter laugh from matt and he's like Tarvalon, all this time it's been camlin moraine would be waiting for us in camlin we find Perrin and Egwene and camlin everything would be all right if we just got to camlin well here we are, and nothing's right. No Moraine, no Perrin, no anybody. Now it's everything will be all right if we get to Tarvalon. Mm -hmm. So we have Matt, who is now the the big time pessimist of the group. And he's like, all these people, and any of them could be dark friends. Master Gill promised to help us awfully quick. What kind of man just shrugs off Aes Sedai and dark friends? It isn't natural. Any decent person would tell us to get out or 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 something. So mm -hmm. Matt's level of distrust has always been higher than Rand's, but now it's just like out the roof. He's fed up with it all. He's just like, you know, two fingers up. I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. And Rand's well, that's, like, the di that's the difference between that's the difference between uh, if things would have been flip-flop and when these two were isolated, if Matt would have been more the leader and ran the follower. I mean, generally, if you actually care about the people you're leading, you keep more of the negative thoughts to yourself and positive thoughts going out. And we've seen that in the past with Rand. He'll say positive things to Matt. And then in, in italicies, you'll see him think the doubts, but he doesn't say them out loud. Well, Matt's following Rand's lead. So as number two, you get to bitch as much as you want, and, and that's what he's doing. I don't think Rand is ignoring all of these points that he's making. Rand's probably thinking them also, but he's trying to be positive. He's trying to find the solution, and, and Matt right about now is focused on eating, filling his belly, and then he moves on to bitching about Kaelin, Tarvalon, blah, 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 blah. You know, when, when are we going to link up with our people or when's this all going to end sort of thing. And th that's kind of the difference between leader and follower. And, um, and after this whole entire Matt brooding scene, Rand starts thinking about the fades and the rats and wonders whether he should tell Gil, um, but that he can't, Gil's gone at this point. So they decide just to go to their rooms uh, or to their room. Uh, they have one. And um, which is awfully shifty that he's gone all of a sudden and cannot be found, but mm -hmm. Yeah. 
We trust him, but then he disappears like right after he gets these two in his end. So, you know. Yeah. He's so, fat. Didn't you check the kitchen? He's yeah. getting snacks. <laughs> He's running from the cook. He said he might as well be married to her. She's nagging all the time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hiding from the cook. So, yeah. So, he gets to the room. Matt immediately lies down. Doesn't want to talk. He's being like super emo. Just, just like being depressed to the world. <laughs> and doesn't want to do anything. Um and, and Rand's kind of, well, if you're not going to talk to me, I'm going to go back down and talk to Gil, Gil some more. But that's just when Gil's gone, gone. And they can't find him in the in the kitchen or anything else, uh, anywhere else. And um, and Rand decides to go wait in the common room, but starts getting super nervous. Um, just that someone might walk in and see him, that, you know, dark friends might be looking for him and, and doesn't want to be in the uh, and out in the common room anymore. So he asked one of the maids for privacy. And they say, go ahead and head back to the library. And then we get this next scene. Um, so this is the point where Alan has been waiting for us to get to since <laughs> the beginning of the book. Yes, Wait, like Alan is rushing we... us to this point right now. He is like, we've got to get where we're going. <laughs> right. If anybody's following along, Alan in three sentences just went through four pages. So <laughs> I'm <gonna> pull... <laughs> well, we can go back so, and talk about. I'm gonna pull a Chris, and I'm gonna go back a little bit. It's not because I want to. It's because I'm I'm fucking with Alan right now. Um, but you uh you you said a line where Matt was being all emo, uh, and that's funny on many levels because um, those of y'all that have been around in Discord, that's been thrown around a bit. So haha, emo. Uh, but. <laughs> I actually, there's one line in here where that's exactly what I thought. And I, I freaking rolled my eyes at Matt, like how pathetic. Uh, but when they were going back and forth and at Ranch trying to come up with a real plan and talking about finding a Gwen and Perrin, <laughs> and Matt just goes, or he goes, they're dead, Matt said to the wall. Like I pictured him <laughs> doing a little like long bang hair flip and just mumbling to the wall like, Duro did like that. <laughs> that was the emo moment. That's exactly what I thought. Of. So that, that highlights your first too. sentence, right there your four-page you. skip. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought it was funny. I, I rolled so my now eyes. Now I'm purposely at him. looking for spots to go back to. <laughs> I know. It's the filler. It's it's like four pages of filler. So we get to this library, right? So. <laughs> um i mean is there anything else from from that from from that scene i mean they get a description of the room um there's you know obviously robert jordan likes to describe everything so you do get some description things there was a servant girl that flirted with rand as well um a couple things like that so we can go back and, talk. and then and then <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so then he goes and uh the first thing he happens he watches library and he's amazed by how many books there are yeah, there's just tons of doesn't he never seen this many books. So he's just uh crazy fascinated by that. Doesn't even notice that there's someone else in the room with him. And I'll let you guys know fascinating before we go there. <laughs> Ham <laughs> has this affinity for reading, which I did not like you would think a big guy, kind of, you know, quiet, peaceful, worked on his farm all day, you know, good old country boy wouldn't have had an affinity for reading like that. So it really does bring to question what was Tam's actual role prior to him coming back to, or, you know, coming back to um, the the town that the, the two rivers, like, two, I, I really I'm wonder, wondering, Chris, Chris, have you ever seen the notebook or read the notebook? 
you know what? Because that that was a good old country boy. Maybe Tam had a stuttering problem, and Tam's father helped him get through that by reading poetry. It could be. <laughs> I mean, the fact that Alan and Chris aren't commenting means y'all either haven't seen it or you're denying having seen it. But I've seen it about fifty thousand times. It's, we've watched, it's been so, watched since together. It came out. We watched it together. <laughs> yeah, we we have watched it together, Alan. It was not in the two person youth tent, but we have watched it together. Yeah. Anyway, so then moving on, it says he was used to being taller than almost everyone he met but this time his eyes traveled up and up and up and his mouth fell open then he came to the head almost reaching the 10 foot ceiling a nose as broad as the face so wide it was more a snout than a nose eyebrows that hung down like tails framing pale eyes as big as teacups ears that poked up to the tough points through a shaggy black mane trollic which was a thought of the italics. He let out a yell and tried to back up, drawing his sword. He fell, or his feet got tangled. He sat down hard instead. That right there, that, like, it's so cool. Again, I have to keep going back. <laughs> the way that characters are introduced and described, the way that Jordan really does this, he really does captivate my mind. I, I felt like I was in that room and I'm a tall person. So like the idea of somebody being taller than me, I've only met two guys in my entire life that I've ever had to look up to. And one yeah, guy literally like <laughs> one, <laughs> one guy literally like turned around and ran into his belly. He was like seven foot three. And at the time I was six foot two. So he's a whole foot taller than me. And I turn around and he's about a hundred pounds heavier than me. And like, I could just imagine, cause I felt that moment where I'm like, I'm the, the tallest person around. Nobody's taller than me. I always have to kind of crouch down and look at people. And then all of a sudden, like there's this guy that I'm looking up to. So I can kind of feel how Rand felt when he just like almost collides with this individual and then the individual himself, like I'm a hairy guy, like my eyebrows, I trim them. Like I keep them very well trimmed because if not, I'd have a single eyebrow that would be all over the place. <laughs> so <laughs> That's everybody right now in quarantine, man. Exactly. In the club. Yeah. <laughs> I actually thought about it. I was like, you know, maybe for Jordan Khan, I'll just grow out my unibrow and see how long I can get it to go. <laughs> uh, and then I'll dress up like this. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wait, so so Chris, uh, you let off the gas right where I got really intrigued because finding something a little bit bigger and a little bit more intimidating than Rand, um, and then he says Trolloc. So Trolloc is a, is a, an example, and he's been intimidated by fades. Um, but the very next paragraph where this being speaks, I wish you humans wouldn't do that. So what what we've run into isn't human, but it also speaks well because this isn't a narg statement or whoever is it narg was yeah that the, narg narg, narg yeah. smart <laughs> right right so it, it's a well-formed sentence and then so few of you remember us it's our own fault i suppose not many of us has gone out among men since the shadow fell on the way so now this is somebody that is not human uh old 
or at least really understands the history of the world very well, has some ancient uh, or long historical, like way in the past connection to human beings, and they haven't been out and about in a while. So like the next couple of sentences after that is what really perked me up. I'm like, holy shit, not just new character, but non-human character uh, that has a lot of knowledge about the world as a whole. And then roll into that the title of this chapter and what i was hoping to find out in the first place and i got super excited once he started talking sure well and i was right there with you like this is where my my blue highlights have really this chapter had a lot of blue highlights for me which is like important stuff like we're getting new character we're getting new timeline we're getting history we're learning something vital like he did give a timeline he said oh that's six generations now right after the war of the hundred years it was so Mm -hmm. too too long and so few to travel and see it might as well have been now like literally he's giving us a timeline as how long it's been since this people really engaged with mankind yeah then it brings all these questions like what is this thing and Mm -hmm. how long do they live how long is their memory are like they the originators of maybe even the language that humans speak? Like we don't know the interactions. Like maybe they brought man out of the caveman error and taught them and <laughs> taught them. So- like we just don't know. Like we've got this new mystical character who's got a long memory and a long history. And right. as we read on, he's a young one. Yeah. Yeah, oh, that's super at cool. ninety at ninety years old, he's young, he's like a, and it would only be at a hundred that he could address the stump. Which I'm assuming the stump is like their gathering of elders, something like that. Yeah, it's kind of like the council. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Oh, I know. Every time I sit with my grandma, she teaches me and shows me something new. So, like, yeah. I kind of felt that but, when I was reading about this character. But at ninety, years, yeah, yeah. at ninety years old, he's still considered a teenager, you know, amongst people. Right. So he's. Uh, they, they live a very long time. <laughs> I would say at 90 years old, he hasn't reached that rites of passage for, I'll say, Ogier. Do I get in yeah. trouble if I say Ogre or do I need to stick it's, to Ogier? It's Ogier, but yeah. <laughs> I know, but but if I say Ogre, maybe see if Discord blows up right now. If I say Ogre, I'm going to get my hand slapped because <laughs> it's so we, much easier. Typing. Uh <laughs> Hey, uh, we, got, uh, we got new year uh, f- we got grr, upset <laughs> yeah because ogres if you think about it like the stereotype is ogres are stupid and this guy does not seem stupid at all no. so i probably shouldn't but okay o- ogier yeah ogier i might put i know you can't see me but every time i say that i'm gonna put my pinky up it's like the champagne of ogres ogier yeah <laughs> fancy <laughs> they said you could say ogre you'll just be wrong but <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't be the first time i've been wrong about a lot sure it's like i thought you were what are my name is rand Althor. like he's rand is completely taken aback by this creature and he realizes that this is a creature of intelligence so he shouldn't be rude which is really fun like i think it's really cool that he is giving this creature like all of the respect due to someone older than him and somebody he doesn't know and is familiar with. So even though he understands it's a creature, he still gives it that same human respect. So I like that about Rand. 
Yeah, and smart enough to mimic what he perceived as a formal greeting. Uh, so normally people will just greet each other with what they're used to and what they're trained to say. Uh, but the fact that he put thought into it and he was like, okay, this is an important person. Uh, I think he's given me a formal greeting. Let me repeat it. That's, that's very, uh, very civil affairs of him. I'll throw that out there again. That was well played. Mm -hmm. It's loyal, son of Arendt, son of Halam or Halan. It's close and enough. And then he says, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Your name sings in my ears, Randolph Vor. It is pretty cool that he then comes back with the same, your, your name sings in my ears, which is very interesting because this is now the second group that references singing or song is in importance. Hey. Because we have the Tinkers hey. who are looking for the lost song. And then we have Loyal. Is that how you pronounce it? Mm-hmm. We have Loyal who is now using like a ritualistic response of your name sings in my ears. So maybe the song is like a name or like a powerful spell or a powerful name. Maybe that's what the tinkers are looking for. Like maybe Loyal and his group have the song. Maybe they, the tinkers need to hook up yeah. with the O'Gares and, and yeah. find their song. Yep. So. I'm down with that. <laughs> yeah. Could be way off out of nowhere, but you know that that drew my attention as I was reading. I actually had it highlighted. So, and and then the, yep. and then after the greetings, you know, that's when you find out how old he is, how old Loyal is, and uh, and also they found out he he ran away, like he was not given permission. He actually is a runaway because uh, he he'd read about the world. He just wanted to see the world for himself. Um, and so, um, you know, he had asked to to I guess to leave the steading. That's where they're all they where they live. We've we've talked about steadings before. Um, in a previous chapter, when when Perrin was captured by the White Clips, they were in a steading, but it, obviously it wasn't occupied by by Ogier. Um But yeah, so but he ran away. Um, he had asked the the, the elders, but um, they had only met for a year, and they had decided yet. So he decided to, <laughs> it, it, you know, ran jokes around, say a whole year, and he's like, yeah, that wasn't enough time to make a decision. <laughs> so, uh, Alan. Uh... I have a we have a disadvantage that we've known each other for so long versus Chris. So Chris, you might relate to this, but I, I know Alan does. Um, but when Rand asked, asked if you don't mind me asking, he said, clearing his throat, why did you want to go uh, outside so much? I wish I'd never left my home myself. And his response, why to see? I read the books, all the traveler's accounts, and it began to burn in me that I had to see, not just to read. And that was, that was always me. That still is me. I mean, I watch the Discovery Channel, the History Channel. I, I read about all of these things. I've read about just about everything on earth you could think of. I've read about it in whatever tribe and whatever natural, cool formation, waterfall, canyon, whatever. And all of it's cool to read. And you can almost get there if the author is good enough to describe it. But to see it in person. Uh, and to actually go meet the people and see the things yourself is something I've always longed for. So that response right there, I mean, this guy's getting high, high marks in my book, especially because he stepped away from tradition and from his elders to go do this. So that that was pretty badass. So, yeah, he said he wanted to see all these different things, like the trees and the groves was the main thing he wanted to see. And, and he was kind of disappointed because everywhere he goes, the, the trees are not there anymore. And 
And we learned a little bit about Ogiers. They love trees, but also we learned about the stoneworking. You know, a lot of these cities were Ogier built. And, um, and we learn about that. And he talks a little bit about how, you know, we just come to repair every now and then. It's not really what we're into, but we found that we could do it. So we did it. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the way he described it, we, we, we like breezed over so much depth. And that's fine. Like when it comes to like the interaction between the two, I really like the conversation because I like how excitable Rand is. Like the, all the cares in the world that Rand had have now all vanished because he's discovered a no gear. Like he is excited. He wants to learn. Like it's, we've got the old Ram back for the moment. He's like, wait, six generations. You said the war of a hundred years. How old are you? Like just his questions. He was so like super excited. And that's how I felt when I was reading it. Cause I was like, mm-hmm. finally, we got a new character. Finally, we're getting yeah. some information. Like tell me everything. Tell me everything, please. Yeah. Into the book or, <laughs> finally getting a little bit of understanding and then it brought to my mind like the way the wheel weaves like as we move into the um every sitter every city kind of introduces a new character a new player and just new concepts um and he normally jordan normally just gives us little breadcrumbs and it's like now we found half a loaf I guess how I feel right now, like I I took the time to really slow down again and finally like really get back into the book. Cause for a minute I was like, I'm enjoying this book, but I need something. And you need, you need to bring me back to life here. And then he, the, the description, he's like, when he asked, why do you want to go outside? Yeah. He talked about that, but he talked about the groves. He said, ah, the book spoke of the groves to make elders weep and laugh at the same time grows to remain green in memory forever i i have like this again i do the parallel between you know jordan and martin and i know martin came after jordan so it makes me think of like maybe the trees are more than just trees these groves are more than just you know trees but maybe they do hold actual memory like maybe just like in um in Game of Thrones, the trees have an importance to the Ogiers because they're they are living beings, and maybe they can communicate with the trees the way mm-hmm. humans can't. Like maybe they they are actual history make. Maybe that's how they store like their their memories and everything. And then like it makes me wonder like what is the Ogiers land like? What what is their library like? Like, if Rand's excited by the library he's in, but this Ogier is like, yeah, our libraries just talk about the trees and the depths of the trees. And then the things that humans find is so important and so great to them is nothing. He's like, yeah, that was just something learned in the years after the breaking during the exile when we were still trying to find the speeding again. So, like, that he just, he shrugged off the stonework that, throughout the book every character that's seen the the works that were done like they're amazed they're in awe and for him it's like ah it's not important and why isn't it important because it's not living he said a few still do work with stones but only because you humans damage the building so often <laughs> with your wars there was a handful of ogier in uh, uh karenhin uh, is called now when i passed through they were from another seating, luckily, so they didn't know about me. 
but they were still suspicious that I was outside or alone so young. Um, but he said, like, that was thrusted on us by the weaving of the pattern. The groves came from the heart. So, like, again, there's a conversation about the pattern and how everybody plays a role in it. And he's like, we didn't really want to make the buildings, but we were trying to make something living out of the stone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the pattern just decided that's what we were going to do. We're going to make yep. stone work for you people. Sure. Yeah, there were there were two points of perspective here, and you hit a, you hit on the first, where Rand is like, oh uh, oh, gear built Camelin, didn't you? And he's focused on the cities, and the the gear is like, oh well, yeah. I mean, we kind of threw some stone around, but that was that was some that was some shit we did on in our downtime because we were bored and trying to put something together. But really, the the groves, the trees, the the more, and he speaks more of nature, and and uh whatnot uh but then he also gets into talking about the pattern and the different perspective there so it it runs right into that um shoot i mm-hmm. have my thumb on it and i just turned the page yeah it starts to look- start- yeah sometimes i think the reason you humans are the way you are is because your threads are so short the elders mm-hmm. say you humans don't like to be reminded of how short a time you live i hope it didn't hurt your feelings so then he points into the difference of I mean, I'll say perspective, but really uh, ability in um, the different different beings' ability to understand the pattern, uh, to maybe manipulate isn't the word, but to access the pattern, like has something to do with uh, how connected you are to, to the land uh, that might be tied to how long you live. Um, so beings that are around for much longer perhaps have a greater ability to access the pattern and, and weave the pattern, however you want to use the verbiage there. But because humans live for such a short amount of time, their ability is less. Right. When he said the wheel of time weaves the pattern of the ages, and that was all capitalized. So that's a direct noun or title. Right. That's, he said, and lives are the thread it weaves. Right. So the wheel of time is like a giant loom or spinning wheel that, that, that you weave uh, a, a, tapestry or pattern and all lives are just threads and it's giant yep. the great pattern yep 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 so I, I mean i thought that was cool again we're getting a little bit more perspective on how this pattern works mm-hmm. and we also learned that that loyal eventually does have to go back to a steading that um, yeah, says we we owe gear are all bound to our steading mm-hmm yeah. So I thought that was really interesting because I want to like bound is a very strong word. And I don't know if it's like in my mind, I was like, are they more obligated, like morally bound to it? Or are they magically or like magically bound to it where they have to return or they die quicker or something like I, A lot of questions were brought up by that statement for me. Yeah. And um and Loyal talks a little about about his travels right after that. You know, he goes into say that the humans have cut down most of the groves he's tried to visit, and he's uh, kind of depressed about it. And talks about different places he's gone to, or whether it's a king's garden that he hunts in and can't get into it, or whether the the, the trees are just gone. Um, Can we just jump to Rand being an Ioman? Yeah, we go there now. <laughs> yep, I Sam. mean, nah, <laughs> like that was probably my favorite thing. I was like, uh, but before we even get there. Like there was a statement made. Um, he said, "Till shade is gone, till water is gone, into the shadow with teeth bared, 
screaming defiance with the last breath to spit in sight blinders eye on the last day and like so so what do you think that is that's the question i had for you (laughs) i'm not gonna tell you (laughs) read and find out yeah Yeah. (laughs) what you i mean i'm sure you speculate something but uh (laughs) well sight like so we've had this like the this just illusion of like the of Bialzaman like trying to blind uh Ram with the, the the crow in the eyes. Like we have all these like allusions to the eye of the world and uh, there's just there's just so many references to like sight blind well sight blinders what really popped out to me. Sight blinders eye on the last day. So I'm like is this a reference to the Dark One? Is it a reference to um, Bialzaman? Is it a reference to someone else? Like, I, at this point, I have so many more questions than I have answers that I'm, it, it's not frustrating, it's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, it, and Rand just kind of blankly looks at Loyal when he says all this and, He's like, why are you saying this to me? I, don't, I have no idea what you're saying. Is, oh, aren't you Aiel? And, and Rand's like, uh, no, I'm from the Two Rivers. <laughs> and <laughs> and <laughs> he's like, I've never heard of the Two Rivers. And, and he says, you might know it as Minethrin. He knows what Minethrin is. So he's like, oh, yeah, Minethrin. I um, know that. But I never. Well, there was a word that he used. Are they like a Vendasora? Is that right? Oh, yes, that's it. The Vendasora, yeah. So. There was that reference, and I highlighted that word because we don't know what a Vendasora is, but he's making a reference to that, and that's where the conversation about him being an old man comes from. So, I that I for those that can see, like my highlights were all over the place because my mind was going everywhere. I was like, oh my goodness, he is an old man. Like, how, why did he assume that about him? Like, what characteristics? does Rand have that makes this Ogier think that he's an ale man? Like, well, does he if, if it's some... what he said, <clears throat> if it's what Rand said, then that might hint to Tam being an Aiel man, uh, because it could just be a, a, a manner of speech or a phrase or something that he learned from his father. Uh, but if it has to do more with his mannerisms or his physical characteristics or the way he looks, um, then that hints well, more towards to Rand. Because Rand really Iowa, didn't talk. Like, Loyal did all of the speaking for the most part. Like, there are well, very few He sentences. said the great trees, didn't he? Maybe that alone was enough to tip his hat. I don't know. I, You may be right. Like, you may have me there. But I just... Bro, I don't know. I'm making this up as I go. I have no clue what I'm talking about. <laughs> there you go. I still want to call him an ogre. <laughs> Yeah. And be wrong. Yeah, a little ask Rand why he's come so far and uh and mentions the ways again. Um if he mentioned in the beginning and he mentions it again, something called the ways are closed. You know, I mean and we've heard that I think previous chapters about the ways. Um when they talked about how the trucks I think Land mentioned it when they said, you know, the ways are yeah. closed. Um so I don't know if you had more thoughts about that or what that is, but and, and, I don't think the ways are closed at all. I think they moved. I think their magical porters are drifts in time 
where you enter one in and come out the other and you can move across time and space or you can at least move across space in a lesser amount of time and that's how the Trollocs and other dark friends are moving so quickly in between one spot and the next. I would say with the breaking of the world maybe like these these wayward ways like these pathways have just shifted the same way like a, a, a river or something would do when something gets in the way like it water is going to find the path of least resistance well maybe magic does the same thing and maybe it's just a, a pathway and it just shifted so that's my thought on that okay with the ways sure and and just to go back uh we talked about uh, avindasora we did mention that in, in chapter six in the westwood uh tam talks about it in his fever dream Oh, so that might that might lean more towards <laughs> Pam being the Ioman, and there's something that was said that, or that he had, think that or he made, made sweet love that. to an AO woman, mm-hmm. and then we have Rand. Wow. Yeah, so so Rand goes ahead and tells Loyal everything. Um, you know, just just doesn't leave anything out. Just for some reason, feels comes compelled to. Um, I think and, that's part of the Ogier's power. They have to have all the knowledge they can store it in their histories. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, like people are compelled to answer whatever questions they ask. Sure. And uh, and after he gets done telling his entire story, Loyal just kind of pauses for a moment and just says Taviran. And <laughs> and <laughs> Rand's kind of taken back. Goes, what, what do you mean? He goes, you're Taviran. Um, you know, and and doesn't really mean much to Rand, but then he explains what a Taviran is, that occasionally there's a thread in the pattern that's different than any other thread. And it, it, it draws, it, it shapes the whole entire pattern around it. It's not, you know, it's, it's special and it, 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 everything bends to that one thread. And that's what a Taviran is. Yeah, it says, the wheel of time weaves the pattern of the ages which we get now like the official title for the pattern, the pattern of the ages and the thread it uses our lives. It is not fixed. The pattern, not always. If a man tries to change the direction of his life and the pattern has room for it, the wheel just weaves on and takes it in. There's always room for small changes, but sometimes the pattern simply won't accept a big change. No matter how hard you try, you understand so it makes me think like maybe Bialzaman is like the creation of a, a, an attempt of a big change, or maybe the taint is mm-hmm. due to a big change in the pattern, like or an attempted big change. And the, the, the pattern's trying to reject this. And maybe that's what the taint is. It's like a rejection of uh, a change in the pattern. I've just been speculating now because I'm trying sure. to put a definition to all of these things. Um, but that yeah, would but make remember, sense. remember uh-huh. though, Biazaman, the reason he's seeking um, uh, the one, whether it be Rand, Matt Perrin, whoever he's visiting in their dreams, the reason he wants the one is be, it has to be tied to his ultimate goal, and his ultimate goal is to break the wheel. Yeah. Well, what better <laughs> so, way to break the wheel than throw something in it that can't it can't handle? Yeah. It, Exactly, and so that's part of why the uh, Bialzaman is is after him to 
you know, work towards that end. And I'm not going to get too philosophical right now, but Tom coming back on where Robert Jordan might've drawn from um, a big argument within different denominations of Christianity and a lot of religions is that argument between predestination and free will. And I just love this idea of this pattern where it's predestined that you're going to do that, but it still allows that wiggle room, that free will to a certain degree. Um, so it's just a very, very interesting take on that, that dynamic that a lot of, you know, philosoph- philosophically have, people have argued for, uh, I guess, centuries. Um, yeah. He says, sometimes the will bends the life thread or several threads in such a way that all the surrounding threads are forced to swirl around it. And those forces, other threads, and those still others, and on and on, that first bending to make the web, capital W, is the Taviran. And there's nothing you can do to change it, not until the pattern itself changes. The web, and I'm not going to try to pronounce that, Tatmara Allen, or Aline, is that'll, called. That'll have it in front of me. last for weeks or for years. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And then he mentions other people that were Tavir and uh, mm-hmm. Archer Hawkins and Luz Theron Kingslayer. Mm-hmm. So he gave a few names. So Luz, pretty cool. Luz Theron's who we met in the prologue, the guy who created the giant mountain when he died. He was the mm-hmm. he was the first dragon or the previous dragon was Luz Theron. Um, mm-hmm. And then Archer Hawkwing was that statue. That you know that guy that was a ruler of the nations or whatever. So they were Taviran. So they're telling Rand that he's Taviran, which um, you know Rand doesn't think he is. He's you know he's just a shepherd. What do you mean I'm a Taviran? Uh, and and Loyal says, well, listen to your story. I think you and your friends, Matt, you know Matt and Perrin, might be Taviran as well. Which you know Loyal makes sense. Loyal is completely fascinated, and he's like, you know what? I want to travel with you, Rand. <laughs> whatever you're there's going to be some stories to tell here wherever you go there will be stories i'm interested yeah i want to follow you and um uh, and um you know he wants to observe rand as tavira but rand doesn't think it's a good idea um you know it says no no don't come with me and and loyal's kind of upset and says well you know would you at least come talk with me every once in a while and um you know and and the chapter ends here with rand hoping everyone is all right um, and 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 Rand agreeing to meet with Loyal from time to time to chat. So thoughts about this chapter before we move on. Thank God, <laughs> loving it. It's chapter thirty-seven, the long chase, and the icon is a sunburst. Um, usually the side of the white cloaks. So yeah, which we are. Yeah, but we're white cloaks. It's on Alan. Alan says that. Ian and I are white cloaks. Oh, yes. He's a dark friend. Yeah, I'm a dark friend. You guys are white cloaks. Definitely. (laughs) Inquisition. So when I first read this title, uh, this title, this chapter title, if you combine those words, it's chital. When I first read The Long Chase, uh, my first thought was that's what she said. So, um, yeah, and I was right. Apparently, go figure. Any, any thoughts? I had no idea on? where they were going to go with this title, like with the yeah. chapter based on the title. Like you got the white cloaks, you got the long chase. So in my mind, I was like, well, maybe the wolves are following them. We're going to get a little bit more of Elias' take on things. Yeah, uh, maybe we'll get a little bit more from the wolves. And it was like, 
did not see the first like word in the chapter and I'm like I don't even want to speculate anymore. I just want to read. So yeah. Plus you're coming off the high of the last chapter. We got so much good stuff out of the last chapter. When this hits you, you're just like, you know what? I don't even care. Let me just read because we got like so much awesomeness has been happening. You just run right into it. So yeah. And I will have to say after this chapter, I I had to message Alan. I was like, we gotta do three chapters, Alan. We have to do three chapters. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta keep reading. Well, the, the next one, the next, it actually makes sense. The next one does go go well together. So, um, so we start with this one with Nadeev, Moraine, and Lan traveling towards Camelon. Um, they're searching for the boy who still has the coin. Um, just kind of making their way down the road. At some point, um, Moraine just stops and says, "We got to head north right now." And Nadeev's like super, super suspicious of Moraine and like. It, it, it's this weird interaction, but you know, Moraine just kind of shrugs it off and says her classic line, you know, the wheel weaves as the wheel wills, um, which you hear say over and over again. And they start heading north. Um, so before we get to this, uh, you know, next part, what do you guys think about this opening scene or any thoughts or anything camp like guys want to talk about? So nothing too significant. Other than uh, I think the uh, Jordan did a good job. We've kind of stepped away from this storyline for a little bit. So everything you just kind of hashed right there, um, it was a good recap of where we left off with them. There's still the little bit of distrust. We know Moraine has this ability to track these boys, and she's doing her, the wheel weaves as it weaves and all that jazz. And uh like I said, it just kind of helped us shift from what we just went from back to um, their storyline. And eh, that's about it. I kind of breezed through these first couple of pages. Like I raced through them. I was like, get me to the action. So that's how I read it. So for me, I had a little bit different take on the beginning of this chapter. Um, I kind of separated Nynaeve from the wisdom Yes, they are the same person. I know that. But we're getting two different takes on this character based on her interactions and involvement with everybody else. So we're looking at the development of uh, her ego, or more or less her, in, in her superego. Like we're looking at the development of this character and essentially when she is trying to grip or ascertain her own reality, Jordan refers to her by her name. When she is in the company of others and she has confidence and she is doing, then she's the wisdom. I know that it hit me as we're kind of going through the, as we went through this chapter and we get towards the end, we see a distinction in her personality, her persona based on her interactions with others almost like a split personality. So we can see that she's really struggling with her identity and who she is and what her role is. And a lot of that is because she's no longer in control. She came from an environment where she was in control of what was going on to being treated like a stable boy. Like literally the very first paragraph, it's like, keep the horses quiet quiet and they were gone 
leaving her to stand like a stable boy. And then her internal thoughts, what were they doing? Like she has no idea. She's being left out of the loop. She is just being treated like a nobody. And then we have Miss Ice Die, which again, there's another distinction in titles where we have Lady Moraine and Ice to Die, and here's somebody else who has her confidence wanes, and she relies more on her ability versus her innate confidence. It's the different uses of the title. So she's referred to as the Ice to Die when she says the will weaves is the will wills. And she said, but I cannot believe it weaves an end to hope. I must first take care of that, which I can be certain it will be um, as the wheel weaves. So here we had Lady Moraine a few chapters back saying we have to go after the two boys that we don't know what's going on with. And we have to mm -hmm. keep tracking them. And then we have this eye to die mindset of let's go get what we know we can get and then we'll work on the rest later. So that's just the frame of thoughts in the first two pages are really, really captivated me as the way Jordan separates even the same person based on their interactions. Sure. I'm putting my floaties on. <laughs> <laughs> it's for the deep end. Uh, yeah, so... So, yeah, you know, so... I um, I've, I've pointed out, uh, and, and Chris has picked up on more than me, but I've pointed out a couple of things where uh, Jordan has referred to somebody or something differently, and then he's moved back and forth. So uh, with the respect, even in we're just in the first book of many, right? But the respect that we have for this author, we have to think that that's intentional. So I look at those things also when he goes back and forth and how he refers to people and how he refers to things. I mean, I mentioned it about Tam sword versus the sword and Rand sword and how there's a transition and how he refers to people uh, in, in different manners, in, in different ways. And I wish I had uh, the Excel spreadsheet skills that you had, Alan, because I, I feel like somebody who kept track of some of these transitions can could probably find better trends. But uh, Chris, I, I mean, I, I think you're onto something for sure. Well, here's a trend that I picked up on too. And everybody should have picked up on it, of course, is that Anive definitely has a thing for land. Yeah. And based on Anne's interactions <laughs> with, with Lady Moraine, even she differentiates in her thought process because at first the water and the eyes to die were almost out of sight through the trees before she started after them. She hurried to catch up. Land looked back at her frequently and waved for her to come on. So it also shows like that separation of land, like he has this responsibility and duty to the eyes to die, his eyes to die. But as a human being who has feelings and emotions, he has taken on this role of being a supporter for naive. Mm. So I feel like there might be like throughout the books, a change of alliance here. Like if Nynaeve actually begins to develop her powers as an Aes Sedai, maybe yeah. do waters change Aes Sedai's? No, like, land's yeah. not that shallow. No, but, <laughs> but I, I do see Nynaeve is more the type to, if she wants to one-up Moraine, she's not going to do it by stealing her water she's going to get her own better water and then I'm rub it in Moran's face. She's going to steal 
<laughs> I'm saying land falling just as fast as she is. Oh, jeez. Chris is smitten <laughs> by 98. What is going on here? I'm creating a love story here. I got to do it. I'm sorry. I'm a, I'm I a romantic yeah. at heart. I didn't. I didn't know you liked episode two and three, Anakin Skywalker, that much. But <laughs> apparently, you're the one fan that bought his uh, his paraphernalia from the gift store. Yeah, like, you talk, talk about hating sand. I hate sand. It's coarse. You could say. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so uh, Marine says one of the boy or the boy that they're after just lost his coin. The coin disappeared. Uh, but he says he's still alive, and then he regains his coin uh, after a while. After a while, Rain says the boys regained the coin, um, so all's well. Uh, Nynaeve is super skeptical about all of this, um, and then eventually they stumble upon a white cloak, cloak camp. Um, and Moraine knows that you know can point out exactly where he is, and you know what what tent he's in. Um. Yeah, and then they kind of come up with a plan and, and give Nynaeve a job. I'm going to be that guy. I'm going to go back a little bit. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, because we kind of, we brush by, again, the, the interactions. I, I enjoy just looking at the interactions back and forth uh, and the, the swapping and the, the concern that we had from Moraine, not I Sedai, who was really frustrated when the coin was gone. So I don't know if that's like a her losing faith almost. So she goes from like the title of Aes Sedai to the hopeless girl Moraine. And then we have her very coldly saying he's regained his coin wisdom, all will be well. And then she lays back down like she regains a sense of herself. So it's almost like depending on her power powers and the way they're working for her um it improves or increases her sense of self-worth which is kind of you know sad because i really like meringue but you know every time she feels like the power is failing her she has a sense of urgency and then the minute the power's back okay all is well in the world yeah i want her to be a badass all around but she's kind of mm-hmm. letting me down a little bit um, and then we get to the point to where Lan straight up tells um, Nynaeve that she's needed. And they are um, coming up along to the White Cloak. They realize there's about 200 of them. There's good water. And he realizes, okay, so they're in the camp. Or Moraine says that they're in the camp. And in the middle of it, and Moraine can point to him. So it's like, what's going on why are they in the camp there's a lot of questions and there's no answers sure well we as the reader know why they're there but they have no idea yeah of course so you know land tells her her go ahead i was i was focused on these interactions here and this is so fantastic in one two three four five six seven eight in eight short paragraphs um, from the end of one where uh, Moraine says, are you willing to take a chance to skip a few paragraphs ahead? And it says, quickly she tied her skirts up to give her legs freedom and hurried into the night. 
That's when she was given her challenge, the chance. This is what you could do to help the Edmonds fielders. And of course, Nynaeve does it. Uh, but they need to, she needs her to sneak over there where there's only a couple of guards and cut this rope. And as she's kind of debating it in her head, uh, Land kind of, I don't know if he plays on it or if he's being, I think he's being sincere, where he's like, well, if you're, if you're half as good as I think you are, you can easily do this. And then she's thinking, like, oh, so he thinks I'm good, does he? I'll do it. And they're, <laughs> like, there's just this back and forth. And then even sure. there's sincerity, like true sincerity from Moraine, from the ice. Well, okay. Dang it. See, Chris, you messed me up. I had this highlighted as true sincerity. If it would have said, Moraine said, maybe it is. But it says the I said I said, and I know the I said I don't lie, but they don't exactly tell the truth either. But she says, take care, the I said I said softly. Once you got the ropes, return, yada, yada, yada. You are a part of the pattern too, and I would not risk you. So there's care and concern coming from her, but it's not coming from Lady Moraine. It's coming from the I said I, if we are to read into that. So maybe that's bullshit. I don't know. You've made me question it, Chris. <laughs> but in anyways, in, in, well, in mean, just I, these few paragraphs, you have all these back and forths, and there's pretty significant relationship building in, in this little group and, and trust being uh, thrown towards each other. I mean, obviously, this is a big part of their plan, and they're trusting Nynaeve to do it. Uh, and, and Nynaeve's up to the challenge, and Moraine is reassuring her that she's a big part of this and everything. So I, I got pretty hopped up here for these few paragraphs is pretty good. Yeah. And yeah, the job that she has, of course, is to go down and cut the, um, the rope for the horses and then come back and said, we'll do the rest. And, and Len also mentions that when he was around, he saw wolves, but they're acting strange. It's almost like they wanted him to see them. And he said, that's not like wolves to do that, uh, to show themselves. So, um, it's like almost like they wanted him to see him. So he notices that as well. Um, so, and then we get to the point where Nadine begins sneaking towards the camp. Um, you know, she gets to the horses, she sees guards and I, I just love this scene, how she, she times the guards and tries to and realizes it's kind of the same pattern. And it just reminds me of like a scene from like a movie where like, you know, your spy movie or whatever, like we go through, you time it and then get it. I'm going to pull it in. Like in my mind, I can see what the TV episode should look like. And I, like literally, I can see the guards walking up with the all is well with the night, and the other looking all is well with the night. The light illuminate us and protect us from the shadows. So you got these two just like, you know, good sized, homely looking men in their white cloaks, and their their attention literally is on nothing more than doing their duty, which is literally seeing each other long enough to say these two sentences and taking their laps around the encampment. Almost like, okay, this is what we do every night. We're always safe, so mm -hmm. let's just get through this so we can get done. Like yeah. any other guard on duty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and, and I, I get the, the the impression at least that they're kind of uh, they're guard on duty, but they they don't suspect anything's going to happen. It's kind of like very very lax. They're not in time of war. It's kind of uh, uh you know, and Ian might be able to speak, you know you served in, in the military, but I, I just picture this is a sleepy type of force that doesn't really, their guard's not up at all. Uh, I agree. Well, without getting into details, there are definitely, 
there's definitely guard duty and there's definitely watches where you know you're in you're within so many concentric circles of security that you're super redundant and i won't say you let your guard down but you let your guard down and then (laughs) there's times where it's very obvious where you're the first line and first warning and there's credible threats out there and you act very differently and these guys like you said nail on the head uh they're they're just they, they don't feel threatened they're either they're traveling in such a decent sized group or they've been doing this for so long and haven't run into anything to worry about that they're just kind of going through the motions uh from from Nynaeve's perspective you know she waited counting to herself when they made their circuit twice each time they took exactly the same count and each time they rigidly repeated the exact same formula not a word more or less i mean that's that's going through the paces of you know what the book tells you to do so they they don't feel threatened they're not too worried they're they're being a little lax so she gets to the horses and uh and she's worried that the horses will give her away they'll wake up and they kind of snort a little bit and stop but they're pretty good about it so she starts cutting the lines and then she gets the last picket line sees our favorite character in the entire book bella bella (laughs) wait who's 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 bella Bell Bell is the most important character in the entire book. Um, I'm just kidding. I was, yeah. <laughs> I was I was I was hoping this like my Discord phone would just blow up, literally catch fire right now. What do you mean? What do you mean who's Bella? Uh, anyways, I'm that guy. <laughs> um, so by Bella being there, she knows Egwene's in the uh, in the camp too. So she's you know obviously. Uh, but then she's like, "Well, I need to get Bella out of here too." So it became a rather than just cut the lines, and come back now, and now it's become a rescue mission for Nynaeve. Um And she grabs another horse as well, knowing that it's not just Perrin, or, or well, she doesn't know which boy it is, but that it's not just a boy and a Gwen, that they need two horses. So she grabs another horse, and then lightning strikes everywhere. Well, and uh, again, not to breeze over, we have this back and forth internal dialogue that uh, Nynaeve is having with herself because she was certain that Egwene was there. Mm -hmm. She said that stuck a spike of fear into her belly, fear of how she was certain. She said this had nothing to do with the weather or the crop or sickness. Why did Moraine tell her that she could use the power? Why couldn't she leave me alone? So she's still rejecting who she is. Oh, she's going... with like. It's mm-hmm. it's that stage of denial, but you have all the proof in front of you. It's kind of like what Perrin went through early on with the wolves when he was denying it, even though like it was obvious, like he knew he could sense their thoughts and everything, but he was still trying to deny it. That's where she's at right now. Like she's so been told the fact. How much? Go ahead. Like she's been told the facts, and she wanted to rise above it and think she's different but now she stumbles into this area and it's not just seeing bella at least the way it's written i didn't take it as her just seeing bella and knowing that Egwene is there but she knew like like deep down in her bones knew like moraine told her because she had healed her one time there's that connection she knew she was there so mm-hmm. she's doing the denial thing but this is the fake denial it's that it's that shit you say when you smoke weed for the first time and you're like, uh, I'm not, I'm not a, not a pothead cause I'm smoking weed for a little bit, but, and then you take another <laughs> puff, like you're fucking smoking weed, bro. Like it's, <laughs> you're there, you're in it, you're doing it. This is it. 
Yeah. So this is what really got me. So like we have that that moment. And so we know that there's like this awakening coming. And then we have the lightning. But before that, we have this desperately she wished for Moraine not to wait on her return. Whatever the eyes said I was going to do, let her do it now. Light, make her do it now before. And then abruptly lightning shattered the night overhead for a moment, obliterating darkness. Thunder smote her ears so hard she thought her knees would buckle. This is not the first time that we've had lightning come after one of our characters who we believe could use the power have these thoughts of desperation. So was it Moraine that did this? Hmm. Or was it Nynaeve? Oh, snap. I didn't even think of that. But good point. It's a good question. And then, so what I was thinking still <laughs> applies here, but uh, gosh, now you... I hate when you do this because I want to get quiet and reread a couple paragraphs to see if that makes sense to me. That's a very good point. Um, the one thing that I had written Hello. down is the, the similarities uh, between men and women and the power that they can wield through the mm. one true power because we know well, we're fairly certain Rand called down lightning when they were uh, trapped there at the inn. Um, and so being able to harness it in similar fashion, I thought that was neat. But then you just, God damn it. What did I tell you about warning me so I could put my fucking floaties on, man? I'm not wearing my floaties. Yeah. Well, it's a good one. Yeah. How would I have known? How would Moraine have known? Like, now's the time. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so the question is: Did did Nynaeve do it, or did Moraine? Did Moraine? Did maybe Nynaeve do it first, and then Moraine saw that and followed up. It, it followed up, or was it all Nynaeve, or was it was it just coincidence? It's speculation. That's up to you guys, but um, and it might never get answered. But <laughs> sure, 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 sure. So, so the horses. Sure. The horses do run everywhere because a bunch of lightning striking all around you pretty much spooks any horse. Um, and Nynaeve, you know, manages to hold on to the two horses she has, but then she's surprised when uh, suddenly she sees wolves chasing horses everywhere. And um, it mentions that she sees the flash of wolves, uh, you know, ch- chasing the horses away faster. And then the chapter ends with Nynaeve um, and the other horse running away from the chaos. So at, so at this point, before getting into the other chapter, uh, I, like I try to capture what I'm thinking at the moment. Um, I don't think we have any evidence uh, that Moraine knows about Perrin's abilities. Um, and obviously, I don't think any of them suspected that the wolves would actually be helping them, which it seems like they are at this point. So I'm really curious to see the interaction if and when um, it's revealed to Moraine that the wolves are, well, what parent is a wolf brother and that the wolves actually assisted in this and are they going to somehow join forces? Uh, who knows until until the next chapter. Yeah. <laughs> <There's>, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Any any thoughts from this chapter before we move on? 
Um, this chapter moved really quickly for me. Yeah, it's. I mean, yeah, it's, it's back. Short. It's back. It's a short chapter, and it's also back to some form of action where we mm-hmm. haven't. I mean, I guess Four Kings we had action, but a lot of the traveling chapters is not a whole lot of action. It's just kind of moving along. We're actually we're moving forward in plot. It feels like I don't know. Yeah, chapter thirty-eight. The re- or just rescue. It's not the rescue. It's just rescue. So we have a symbol that we've seen before. Um, it's been a long time. We've only seen this once, and that was. All the way back on the chapter called Across the Terran, um, where we saw this symbol. And you guys had a and you guys had a lot of speculation back then on what this was. Um, I'll see if that's changed at all. It's the wind scar from in the Astra. It's the wind scar, okay. I, I don't know what that is, but <laughs> ten points for anybody in Discord that can tell Alan what it is later. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> So, Wait, what, what did what did we say it was before? I know we talked about the two different. Yeah, so we talked about the dragon's fang, which is going one way. I can't remember what you called this. Um, I, back then you called it the stinger, I think. Or yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the beast stinger. I, you know, but as you know, I, that I don't know if you guys came up with a name for it. You just, but but yeah, I'd see if you guys had any thoughts this time. I think someone's going to get rescued. Okay, yeah. Well, I think the, 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 I don't know. The title, the title chapter would would sound that way. Yeah. So sometimes yeah. he goes with irony with his chapter titles. So you know, like choices. choices. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's going to make you so happy that that cha- t- that chapter title is used like almost every single book. So we're gonna have multiple multiple choices. Uh, oh, love it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so let's go ahead and get right into the episode. Sorry, that was a minor spoiler for anybody listening. That there are chapter titles called choices. I'm sorry, I just ruined the whole book for my. Listeners. They might be choices. They might not actually be choices. It doesn't really tell us anything. Yeah, good old choices. Anyway, so, uh, so we start with Perrin still bound, um, um, you know, uh, in, in a tent, and they're being they've been prisoners for days. It kind of gets this idea that you know they've been dragging along. He's in this tent. It's nighttime. Um, it's been a long time. It's been hard travel. Um, and, and buyer comes in, uh, the gaunt white cloak. It's really skinny. Um, and, and he's been telling them about like how they will be tortured when they get to, when they get to the, uh, uh is, it, is it Amador? I think, I'm not sure if they give the name, but yeah. Amador. Getting, yeah. So I didn't want to give away too much, but anyway, so, so yeah, but, um, <laughs> thank you. So they did say it. Um, so yeah, so uh, talking about how they're going to be tortured when they get there, and talking, describing the torture in details. Uh, you know, once they go to Camelot and then on to Amador, um, and uh, the white cloaks are all looking at them like they're filth. Um, yeah, so let's start there before we get into the interaction between Buyer and um, and Perrin. So I enjoyed the the imagery in the first scene. Because it kind of showed the interdependence of our Edmund Fielders. Um, you have a Gwen who is laying huddled against uh, Perrin's back for warmth, sleeping the deep sleep of exhaustion. She never even murmured at his shifting. So they've grown really close. So it kind of gives me a little bit of hope that we'll have a little love tr- love connection there. Maybe a little love triangle issue. We'll see. Wow. Um, <laughs> 
and then we move on to like the the description of the white cloaks movement they said the um excuse me he said that lord bornhold meant to reach camlin in time for whatever it was that was happening and always in the back of Perrin's mind was the fear that if he fell, the white cloaks holding his leash would not stop, no matter Lord uh, Captain Baronhold's orders to keep them alive for the questionnaires at an Amador. So he realizes that his life doesn't really mean much to anybody at this point. Mm-hmm. And he felt the same way about Egwene, like you're really worried that she would drop but she was staying strong too. So that gave me a little bit more of uh, affinity for her. Like I, I really do feel for her and I really hope that she becomes the, the badass that we know she will eventually. Um, sure. I love that word. I just so, want you to know how much I love that word. What do you, what do you guys, what, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was saying, I was going to ask, why, why do you think they're rushing to get to Camelon? Like, what what event are they trying to get there for? Oh, the killing of the the, the dragon, the fireworks. <laughs> and and I hear there's I hear there's a gleam in this year. <laughs> Deltine. <laughs> yeah. Oh wait, no, we're past that. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah, sorry. yeah. yeah okay. So, but you were saying, Chris? Yeah, but I, I mean. Has to do. So, uh, my assumption was the new false dragon, and what, what is it, Logain this time? And I'm I'm sure they're all caught up in that business. Okay, so they're they're talking about Byron and his um, when he's talking to them. It's that he just didn't care if they were frightened or not, if they were tortured or not, if they were alive or not. That was what brought cold sweats to parents' face once it got through to him. That was what finally convinced him. Uh, I'm sorry, I said Byron. Uh, Byer, excuse me, was telling the simple truth. And what that was talking about the torture. Like, I love the, the description that they went into. It's like he didn't really make threats as if he were talking about getting a drink of water. He talked about hot irons and pincers and knives slicing skin away and needles piercing. Like, I have this weird like love of, of course, weapons and stuff too, but torture devices are kind of in that realm and, and methods of torture. Um, I'm that kid that found out that you can hit feet as hard as you want and they don't bruise on the bottom. Um, you hit what? So, like, for, so for like my brothers and sisters, uh, I, I could never get away with hitting them. And I never wanted to hit them often, but every now and then I just had the urge where they just deserved <laughs> a beating. So I found out that you can beat the bottoms of their feet really hard. And it took a lot, if anything at all, to make them bruise. Oh, well. Uh, so, and my dang. mom's thing was always like, well, show me the bruise because we're, we're light skinned people. We, we still bruise. So, you know, I would beat the bottoms of my brother's feet. On my feet. Oh my. I never got in trouble. Like it was because that's also where a lot, there's a lot of nerves in the bottom of the feet. Like the foot was designed and developed for you to be able to feel and to keep balance. So like you smack the bottom of a foot, and you see the reaction that you get from a person, and you see these hands. Like I could grab hold of somebody's ankle and just pull them towards me, and then just wow, like fire to the bottom of their 
be a glorious day. <laughs> so in uh, I in never two got weeks, in trouble for it. In two weeks' time, your siblings are gonna take this recording and they're gonna go two places to your parents and play it and go see see. And then they're going to go to their therapist and be like, see, see, <laughs> this is what I was talking about. <laughs> no one believed me. Fifty Shades of Chris. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, boy. Um, so what, what book are we reading? Oh, my gosh. Let's get back to that. Yeah. Let's get back to this. So, yeah, so, <laughs> so buyer, buyer, um, you know, one of the things about buyer that really disturbs me, too, is the fact that he's. You know, it's one thing if you're you're into the torture, you know, like like that there's like some motivation. Like he's completely indifferent. Like he's it just yeah, it. it doesn't even matter. Like it just whatever. Like I mean, it's it's, it's gonna it's, it's, it's part of the process. It's just gonna happen. You're just very nonchalantly right. about it. Just yeah, nah, like does it like That's and, what makes the perfect soldier? Oh, true. I mean, yeah. So it makes a really good soldier, but at the same time, it's like it, it's an eerie kind of. You talk about like different types of evil, like if there's motivated evil, but like if there's, I mean, there's, there's no motivation behind him. It's just, it is. This is just, this is, this is it. Like, uh, this is what we do. Like, it's, it's not a, uh, you know, a, there's not a drive there. So it's, it's well, highlighted by the thought that parent has. He said, Light, how do I make them believe we aren't dark friends when they're already convinced we are? Mm-hmm. Like, I know that they were giving him dirty looks and they showed, they being other white cloaks, showed disdain. Um, but overall, they were already convicted. They haven't even been to trial yet. And they're already convicted. Yeah. So, like, this is just what's going to happen. Like, we're going to get here. You're going to be tortured. And no matter what happens, we really don't care. Yeah. So, so the next scene, buyer comes into the tent and wakes them up with a. Uh, they were already awake, but starts kicking parent anyway. A parent was awake. Egwene was asleep, um, and uh, you know, uh, buyer says uh, that they're slowing them down, um, and that you know that Bornhold wants to send them to the questioners, but at the same time. You know, maybe if a rock were happened to be somewhere and you guys got out of here, it'd be better for everybody. And um, but my first thing, and I think parents think of this through too, is this a trap? Like, cut yourself free, so I have every excuse to kill you. Like, yeah, like what that, was, that yeah. was the hey, hey, go ahead and run real quick, and then he like lines up his sights and plucks them. Like that's that's what <laughs> I felt was coming. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, we were on the same page. 100 percent about that he's just looking for a reason he's been looking for a reason since the beginning right like if you think about the interaction when they first were captured like he wanted to split parent's head wide open because as parent points out right before that um buyer remembered that he had killed two of the children right so for him like the fate sealed he's gonna die he would prefer it to be by his own hand and preferably by parents' own acts at this point, but let's say torture first. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I think I think parents think the same thing too. But then he starts thinking like, well, I need to give a reply. I need to stall this because if I wait too long, his thought process is, well, it's just as easy for a buyer to kill him right now and then shave the rope off and make it look like he tried to escape. You know, like 
frame him. Um, either way, he's got he's about to die. I think Perrin feels immediate threat right now, like that. And one way or other, he like that buyers whether he does it or buyer kills him and then cuts the cuts the threads or the the cord or the the rope. Um, uh, Perrin's in desperate trouble, and he's about to give a reply when all of a sudden Dapple comes into his head and says, "Help, help come!" Yeah, help comes. That was my favorite line. I love it. After. Yeah, the way the wolves communicate, it, it, it's just, it's so simple. Uh, and, and it's beautiful at the same time. It's not big, long sentences. It's not huge in description. It's just the basic verb, the basic emotion, uh, straight to the point. Gotta love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, he asked about Elias through the through the wolf, you know, um, through his communication with the wolf, and you know, Elias is is wounded but alive, so he's you know relieved of that. And I think at this point, Bayer knows notices that Perrin's acting strange because Perrin's now communicating with wolves, and then Perrin notices that guards start to vanish. The two guards outside, I think one goes down, and and then the other one before he can even say anything goes down as well, and then next thing you know, lands there. Um, good old land, and and he buyer turns around on him, but then he ends up knocking out buyer as well without really even trying, because <laughs> because land's badass. Well, that's not completely true. It's the buyer's son, swift as a striking viper, the axe whirled in his hand so fast that it hummed. Perrin's eyes bulge as the night seems to flow into the lantern light. His mouth opened to yell, but his throat locked tight with fear. For an instant, he even forgot that buyer wanted to kill them the white cloak was another human being and the night had come alive to take them all then the darkness invaded the light became land cloaks swirled through shadows of gray and black as he moved the axe and by his hand lashed out like lightning and land seemed to lean casually aside letting the blade pass so close that he must have felt the wind of it fire's eyes widened as the force of his blow carried him off balance as the water struck with his hands and his feet in rapid succession, so quickly that Perrin was not sure that he had seen of what he had seen. So it wasn't that Bayer like didn't instinctually react; it's that he was just flat out outclassed. Yeah, that's what I was getting at. Is that how badass Land was? Like, I I just picture that casual, like Bayer turns and swings the axe, and he's casually like. Let some, you know, moves moves out of the way and didn't even yeah. like, <laughs> yeah. But you know, for first for Star Wars fans, this is kind of like um, in the movies in theater when Lord Doku is uh, kicking. What is it, Anakin and uh, Obi Wan's ass? I think it was yeah. those two. God, if I get this wrong, I'm in trouble. And we're like, yeah. gosh, Doku's such a badass. Yeah, and then Yoda comes in motherfucking backflips flips around force push pull this that and the other and whoops his ass like that's that's kind of what happened here he got like you said he got outclassed in every way and it's not that buyer is a wimp uh and not intimidating and doesn't have skill it's just that lan is one-on-one at least lan is light years ahead of him this wasn't a fight at all yeah. I, I really love the way it's like then the darkness invaded the light. The Invading the light became land. So like land was covered in darkness. We've seen this before 
with the fade. So it makes me think, is there like a parallel between the powers being used or the way that land traveled into the campground or just appeared out of the shadows? Like I know the fade was engulfed into the shadow and left, but land seems to be coming out of the shadow. And I don't know if that's just some power of his cloak or something like that. Maybe yeah. I'm overlooking it. But, you know, this scene, I could see it being played out with a lot of drama and mm-hmm. being a long scene, or I could see it happening like in the blink of an eye. So I'm, I'm interested to see how they're going to do this with the TV show. I hope they do it justice because I, I like, I hate to say it, I like fire for this moment. Oh, like okay. I like the, <laughs> I like the description, like of of, of his use of the axe, because yeah. he just picked this axe up days before, and he's already like showing a mastery of this weapon. So he's like no scrubs whatsoever at all, and then we really get a feel for how awesome a warder really is. Yeah. So like we've seen action before, but this just speaks volumes to me. Sure. Yeah. So Land does his does his job, and then he goes and cuts their bindings or takes their takes their bindings off, um, frees them, uh, tells them to take some cloaks. So Perrin actually takes Byer's cloak off of them, and they take another cloak as well for Egwene. Mm-hmm. And Perrin gets his axe back, and they and they actually put the white cloaks on to disguise themselves, and and that's when the lightning starts crashing everywhere. So now, for the previous chapter, this chapter, this is where those two events intersect and now you know because that's kind this of the end. what it's like when worlds collide <laughs> exactly <laughs> so so yeah so this is where the last chapter ended and now we're moving forward so um you know they leave back and they head back to moraine there's panic everywhere when they get out of there and they they, they actually make it all the way back um so anything before we get to this next scene like about the actual escape anything that stood out to you guys yeah um, so what, once Egwene was figuring out what was going on and she goes, is it really? She stifled a sob or stifled a sob. We thought you were dead. We thought you were all dead. And like just stereotypical soldier warrior fashion. He doesn't say, no, we're not dead. He get, he comes with the not yet. And, I, no. you know, maybe I'm reading into that too much, but like I got feels for it. And that's the this warder, maybe he knows his fate or, or maybe he just has that warrior's mindset of, yeah, I'm going to die in battle or I'm probably going to die somewhere uh, along this adventure, but no, not yet. I've got shit to do right now, but yeah, eventually, but not yet. I have a lot of respect for land, almost pacifism. Mm. Yeah. He said, I do not kill unless I mean to. Mm -hmm. So he, I mean, I, I would assume none of the white cloaks are dead. Yeah, I don't think they killed any of them. I think he just knocked them all out. And so it begs the question, like, how many people do you let live that he's already engaged with? Like, mm-hmm. I'm sure he killed the Trollocs, but right. like, what is this something that all warders feel? Or is this something specific to Land? Because we know Land's got these titles and everything, but so just you know, he has a sense of morals, which is really cool. Because you yep. got that much power, you could easily do whatever the heck you want. They all could just be dead and be done with. Right. Yeah. 
And and you're segueing great to the next scene with talking about Lance title. So they actually get to Moraine and Nynaeve's not back yet. And so there was a comment that was made and I was waiting until we got here before I said what I wanted to say, which Ian, here's your validation. Nynaeve has not returned. I fear that young woman has done something foolish. It's like, let's roll out. Like he said, the eye has to die. Though they may tell the truth, it may not be the whole truth. And she was ready to just go ahead and let Nynaeve be left behind, even though she's part of the weaving, part of the pattern. Mm-hmm, of right. Ages. So, like, I had, as soon as you said it, I was already agreeing with you, but I wanted to wait till we got to this line. <laughs> right. Yeah, because yeah, Land, yeah. Land tries to go back for Nynaeve, and, and Moraine cuts them off and says, just don't. And Land almost disobeys Moraine, like, and goes back anyway for Nynaeve. And that's and where... this is a, another point that where we see it's Moraine and not the eyes to die. Yeah. And then Moraine... And then Moraine calls out his oath, you know, do you remember your oath? And then all his titles. <laughs> um, so I'm not going to read them because I'll butcher him. I'll attempt it. I'll attempt it. Remember your oaths. I'll land Mandragorian, Lord of the Seven Towers. What of the oath of the dismembered battalion, Lord of the Malkarai? Mm, why'd I try that? Mal- Malkiri. That's what I said. That's what I said. I am the battle lord of the Malkiri. So, and I know it's not dismembered. I just skipped that word because, yeah. Yeah. It's all over Harry Potter. Uh, <laughs> get caught up on that. Yeah. But yeah. So, yeah. So, what about Harry Potter? What? Diadem. What is that? The anyway. What? Okay. The diadem. We'll okay. continue. Yeah, we could. And then, right as soon as they're about to 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 leave, and not sure which way this argument's going to go, Nynaeve comes busting through, and she's fine with her two horses. Um, no, but who who's Egwene most excited to see? Does she go Nynaeve, or does she scream Bella? Bella! <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I did underline that. That's the first thing she got excited about. Exactly. Uh, so as they're leaving, you know, Gwen wants to ask about everything else too. It's like, what about Rand and Matt? And Moraine says uh, she hopes they're still well. We haven't found them yet. Um, and as they're walking away, Dapple, of course, talks to Perrin one last time. Said they'll meet again one day. Uh, one day they'll meet again. Um, and, and yeah, they they leave at this point. So. Um, a while out, Lance kind of looking back. There's no signs of pursuit. So um, they finally, uh, around sh- just short of dawn, they stopped to rest. So before we get to this final, I guess this is the final scene in this chapter. Anything that we missed previously, you have to go back on? Or... All right, for once, we don't have to go back. Cool. So, <laughs> so they stopped to rest, and Nynaeve goes to uh, tend to parents' bruises and you know, he takes off his shirt. He's like covered in bruises. Like I can just picture this scene. Like I, I've seen movies and stuff of like that before. Actually, um, there was a girl that sailed for William Mary um, that that would bruise so easily. I'm not going to give names just in case he does listen yeah. to the podcast. But she used to bruise super easily, and 
like people like she would actually i think multiple times actually like professors called police officers and had to come in because they were worried about an abusive boyfriend um and yeah. it was really yeah because um she was on her sailing team and just um uh racing sailboats like she bruised so easily that after a single day of practice she'd be covered from head to toe like a purple and blue like looked like she was beat to a pulp um yeah, Alan's, Alan's not exaggerating. Her legs, especially her thighs, all the way around would be the the most bright blue green and more green as the days went on. I mean, it was it was pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, work. Yeah, and she's had that, that. Yeah, she had that type of, um, uh, I guess, skin type or whatever that just bruised super easily. So. Like the, it was literally always from the ceiling practice. So, but um, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely. So, but I picture seeing what her she looked like after ceiling practice. I picture this is what Perrin looks like after actually really getting beaten um, uh, for days and days on end. I think it's interesting that it's like the wisdom produced an ointment from her bag for the um, wells the ropes had left on Egwene's wrist and the different ones for her other bruises. Mm-hmm. So here we have that differentiation. She finally has importance again, so she's now the wisdom. And yeah. then it says, Nynaeve gasped. Startled, he stared at her, then at his own bare chest. It was a mass of color, the newer purple blotches overlaying older ones faded into shadows of brown and yellow. It said only the thick slabs of muscle earned by hours of uh, hours at Master Luhan's forge has saved him from broken ribs. So, mm-hmm. like, you get a pretty vivid description like you guys talked about, but then you also have that parallel of whenever she loses her stuff, the names switch. So, I just, again, that's just me appreciating the writing that Jordan has, has given us. Yeah, um, sure. You know, uh, Nynaeve at one point realized his parents' eyes. And this is the first time we even, as readers, realize that his eyes are changing. Uh, and they're now a burnished yellow. Um, and she's never seen this before. She said, well, if you had yellow-eyed fever, you'd have a fever, but you don't have a fever at all. But Moraine immediately knows what it is. Um, well, but she also says, and the whites of your eyes aren't yellow, just the irises. Just the irises. And and Moraine knows what it is, but won't tell Nynaeve or anybody. She just says, "I know what it is. It won't it won't kill you. It won't harm you." Um, but yeah, there was no um, foretelling this. She was it. she was still a little surprised. She didn't see it coming, at least. Mm-hmm. She said something ordained to be woven, or a change in the pattern. If a change by if a change by what hand the will weaves, as the will wills. It must be that. So she's questioning whether or not this was a part of the pattern in general, or if there is a force acting on the pattern to influence what's going on in the boys' lives, which we know the boys have all been reached out to by the Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. She doesn't know that, but we as readers know that. Yeah. So, so Perrin drank from the cup. And it was such a potent <laughs> moonshine that he got liver failure and his eyes turned yellow. Exactly. Yeah. 100%. So, so Perrin goes off the side, talk to Lan uh, shortly afterwards. And 
you know, tells Lan about Elias. And Lan knows Elias. He used to be a warder. Um, yeah. Which I thought, thought was really interesting. But then, then the Red Aja, which we get that, was after Eliza. And I believe that was one of our um, predictions, is that Elias was either a warder or a male eyes to die. I, yeah, that, that was one of your predictions. So, yeah, yeah. Elias was a warder. Um, yeah, but he, he got in trouble with the red, the reds, um, the red Aja. We, we heard a little about Aja, so we don't know all the colors yet, what all, they all do. But, um, but yeah, um, and he fled. And, and Land tells Perrin as well, it's, it's nothing to do with the Dark One. It's, it's older than all that. It's nothing to do with the power. It's, it's, it's something older. Um, and, and they're thinking, what's the chance? And I, one question I have is, what's the chance of, of Perrin happening to meet Elias, who also was with Brotherhood? Um, and go back to this great weaving of the pattern and Tavir and things like that, like your thoughts on these chances. But the will weave the, the will will. Exactly. <laughs> Get your thoughts on that. But Total coincidence. Yeah, I believe in coincidence. <laughs> my point is stupid. Let me go ahead and say it, and then I'll put my floaties on. Um, but I'm a I'm a huge fan of NCIS, and anybody here that watches NCIS, the original with Gibbs, uh, I don't deal with coincidences. There's no such thing. Okay. Well, I like just that statement that was made. Not necessarily something mind blowing, but sometimes the pattern has a randomness. To it, to our eyes at least. So what chance that you should meet a man who could guide you in this, and you one who could follow the guiding? The pattern is forming a great web, what some call the lance of ages, and you lads are center to it. So lance of ages is a title. Lace, lace, lace. Oh, I'm sorry, lace. There's no n. I apologize. No. The lace of ages. So what is that all about? Like, that's my next question. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the next mystery that I'd like to find out. And then it says, have you been chosen out then? And if so, by the light or by the shadow? And yep. right away, it's like the dark one cannot touch us unless we name him. And then Perrin thought of the dreams of Beelzebub, the dreams that were more than dreams. He scrubbed the sweat off his face. He can't. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's still like this thought of is, you know, Bialzaman, <clears throat> the dark one, what is his reach? What is his connection? So there's just so many questions that keep being brought up here that yeah. I'm ready to, to go on to book six and figure <laughs> half of yeah, uh, book six, you'll you'll have a lot figured out by then. But yeah, so um, <laughs> you know, and Lan, Lan also comments that he's happy that that parents back with Moraine and everybody, and that that we need to fund the other boys are all maybe lost, and that's kind of how we end this. Is that these these are all these, these boys are all more important? Um, you know, I, we've already got we've already gathered that, but I think it's that this this dire we need to get the band back together again. <laughs> it's becoming more and more um uh evident as it goes on so uh any other thing that we missed i mean now we're dead in this chapter so um the entire Man finally gives everybody a compliment yeah 
I was going to say, and land gets very philosophical. I feel like we skipped over that. Like I circled the whole giant paragraph on the, on the next to last to page. Read it right now, was the All right, hit it. You got, you got that radio what voice. Is and what was between what is and what will be. His voice turned grim. The walls of the dark one's prison. This may be the end of an age. We may see a new age born before we die, or perhaps it is the end of ages, the end of time itself, the end of the world. Suddenly he grinned, but his grin was as dark as a scowl. His eyes sparkled merrily, laughing at the foot of the gallows. But that's not for us to worry about, eh, blacksmith? We'll fight the shadows as long as we have breath. And if it overruns us, we'll go under biting and clawing. You two river folk are too stubborn to surrender. Don't you worry whether the dark one has stirred in your life. You are back amongst friends now. Remember, the will weaves as the will wills, and even the dark one cannot change that. Not with Moraine to watch over you, but we had better find your friends soon. So, yeah, it's kind of a, a slighted compliment but yeah. at the same time it's like yeah bro we got this we're gonna fight till we die but at least we're gonna go down fighting yeah and that yeah. shows that he's put some faith into this group of people that just didn't seem very important like two and a half months ago or however much time has passed i'm so lost on timeline I, you know it doesn't even matter anymore and and but i wonder where the transition was where remember lan when they first got to Edmonds Field, like he was, he just, he almost had his nose up in the air, almost kind of scoffed at these people. It was like almost, I, I don't know. I, I didn't, I didn't feel like he really believed in what was going on and that these boys had any significant role in what was to come. Mm-hmm. But now you read this paragraph and he knows they're very much a part of it and he has to get them all back together and they're all going to be in it till the bitter end no matter what the end is a new age uh, uh an end of all ages altogether it doesn't matter but all these people need to get back together and they're all going to have a significant part of it so this is a big transition i think from land's perspective uh that and and i'm i'm glad you read this chris because we've been challenged before to try and pick a sentence or a quote that really stood out to us. And out of all three of these chapters, I circled that entire paragraph uh, just because that's about as deep as I think Lan has gotten so far and coming from an old war horse like him. That's, I feel that's pretty significant, you know? Yeah. All right. Anything else from the chapters you guys might've missed? I mean, we can do it, go back to any of them, but. Chris no, thinks Nynaeve is going to hook up with everybody. I never got that impression. She seems kind of prudish to me, but <laughs> sure. Nynaeve is going to hook up with Land. Okay, and we got a Gwen hooking up with Perrin. Perrin, okay. So we're starting to, then, to off, and then Rand is with Mystery. Oh, he and Matt have this thing kind of going on on the side that we won't talk about. <laughs> <laughs> ah, ah. Rand, right. Rand's gonna get like Rand's gonna get who uh who's the crazy girl that sees sparkles? Uh, yeah, I forgot her name. People. Men? men, men, yeah. Rand's gonna get some men. He's he's gonna get like one like the wild girls that pop up in here. Okay, she, yeah, she seems sense. like the hippie ish kind of girl. The 
I don't shower too often. I'm tripping on shrooms. I see shit. That's the okay. kind of girl that Rand's hook up with. All okay. sorts of bad decisions. Yeah. Okay. So uh, we got is that prediction official? No, I forgot. I don't know. I, I just think Rand <laughs> makes poor decisions. Right. <laughs> you can throw my done can predicting throw mine stuff in there in the prediction. Okay. There. I'll, I'll throw the prediction barrel. Okay. So I'm going to wrap this episode up. Wait. So, and hold on. And okay. the other prediction is that Lan is going to leave Moraine as a warder. Like he's just going to be done with her. That Lan's gonna, I'm going to stop reading if that happens. As a warder. And, okay. If that happens, I'm going to stop reading. All right. I'll well. listen to it on the on the recording, but I won't, I won't read. <laughs> I won't read. That's, I'll All listen. Right. All right. So Ian's going to boycott that idea. So anyway, so <laughs> so um, kind of wrap up this episode. Um, how you can find us? We can found at the Wheel of Reads at uh, Twitter, uh, Facebook, Instagram. I need to do better on my Instagram. I, I, I do the little spoiler or the little teasers once a week, but I need to start posting pictures. So if you guys have pictures of yourselves, send it to me. Like just send Facebook, like Chris and Ian, so I can put them on Instagram just so I can brighten that up. Um, and then uh, the wheel reads at gmail.com is our email address. Um, if, uh, uh, if you feel so inclined to give to us, we have a Patreon. That's a link down below as well. Um, you get lots of perks with that. Um, our patrons will tell you all about uh, some of the things you get. It's a lot of fun. It's all on that website. And then, of course, our wonderful Discord uh, family that we've become. Um, it's it's actually a great, great spot. Um, we have a very, very, very active Discord um, and, and a very wonderful group of people. Um, and, and we hang out a lot. We talk a lot. Uh, we share lots of things. And there are a lot of people here that don't don't interact with our Discord that are on our Discord. That's fine. Um, it's okay to just be a fly on the wall as well. Um, we, we, we appreciate anybody that wants to come and interact with us in different ways, but we do a very active, if you are an extrovert and are in quarantine and want an outlet and some social, uh, it's here. Uh, we got it at our discord. So that's definitely there. Um, but even if you're an introvert and you just like what a couple of time, uh, we have lots and lots of introverts in our discord that, that come out. So discord, it's free. It's great. Come join. Um, other than that, uh, you know, like, uh, like, uh, subscribe, uh, review us on any platform you listen to us on. And that goes great to just help us get around to other people and so people can discover us uh, and find our podcast. Um, so with that being said, anything else for you guys? Until next time. Peace. Thank you for listening to The Wheel of Reads. See y'all next time. <laughs>